Quick reminder, in just a couple of days, we're going to be giving away a Cosmic Ray 6.8 Speed Whistle Single Fin to one lucky winner. This network of podcasts is free, but we do have a donation platform set up via PayPal for anyone who wants to support. Among those who donate in the month of February, we're putting their names in a hat, and then we'll pick one winner at random to win that surfboard. We're going to pick that winner on Friday, March 1st. You can enter on surfsplendorpodcast.com slash donate. Any amount will do. Either a one-time donation or you can set up a monthly recurring donation. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you've probably noticed an expansion in shows, output, and diversity over the last two years. That's directly related to the financial support and being able to fund these projects. So much more to come in 2019 and beyond. So thank you. And a special thanks to Cosmic Ray for your support as well. I have links to his work on our website and social media. All right. Enjoy the show. Helping the kids out of their coats The way the babies haven't been born oh, oh, oh. Unpacking the bags and sitting on I began corresponding with Charles Mensell a couple of years back. As often happens nowadays through direct message on Instagram, he expressed his gratitude for a couple of the podcasts that I had done. And I could see that he was a surfboard shaper in New Jersey, a couple of videos of him getting tubed. I later ran into an East Coast surf photographer at a trade show who was showing me photos of a recent run of swell that they had up in Jersey. And he showed me a photo of Charles getting barreled. I said, oh yeah, I know that guy. And the photographer told me that Charles had won a couple of local contests two years in a row in really good hollow conditions. He told me that Charles makes really good, high quality, high performance thrusters, but that he also has a reverence for the past and that he shapes gliders and fish and kind of a wide array of boards. A few months later, Chas Smith went to New Jersey to film a wetsuit review video for Beach Grit. And when he got back, he told me that he went to a concert at the Stone Pony with Charles. I was like, oh yeah, that shaper. I heard he surfs really well too. And Chaz was like, no, no, no. I mean, he does shape, but he's actually an English professor. So when I started outlining my trip to the Northeast, Charles was on my list of people to connect with, at least if nothing else, just to grab a coffee. So started chatting with him and he insisted that I crash at his house. So I vetted him with Chaz. Chaz said, he's not crazy. He's super cool. So I accepted the offer. I ended up spending three nights at the men's cells with Charles's wife, Rebecca, their two daughters, and their beefy kind of bullish dog. It was early November and the air and the water temp was cold. I think it was in the kind of high 40s. We never actually got a chance to surf. Charles is an absolute frother. He took me to all the local spots, looked for any little possible wave to surf, but it never even got even close to a foot. It was absolutely micro. So instead, we spent our afternoons at the Atlantic Club, which he will tell you about in just a moment. We actually recorded this conversation in Manasquan, New Jersey, inside of his frigid shaping bay. It's a Quonset hut that he shares with a few other tinkerers, craftsmen, hoarders, not exactly sure what each of the other dudes do, but Charles has a shaping bay built into just one corner of this Quonset hut. 
and the shaping bay requires a good 30 minutes or so of preparation with a space heater to bring it up to a tolerable temperature. And uh, we turn that space heater off for this recording because of the noise. So by the end of the interview, you can probably hear our teeth chattering. And uh, I hope that you enjoy it. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor. Here's my conversation with New Jersey English professor and surfboard shaper, Charles Mensell. I mean, we could almost start the conversation with how much of a grind it is here for everybody. Yeah, but in, but instead, we will get to that. Sure. But instead, um, let's tell listeners about the Atlantic Club. Why have we been spending so much time at the Atlantic Club? Is that a Jersey oh, thing? It's an oasis. No, it's not a Jersey thing. It's close to my heart. It's where I learned oh, okay. to swim and learned to get the ocean at a young age while not having to have to go in the ocean, probably. So it would cause kind of like... Um, a doldrum kind of fix or it would it would remedy the fix kind of so to speak so can go there in the middle of the winter go swim feel some water on your face and then that would kind of hold you over and then wetsuits kind of came into play and the rest is history it is an oasis though that is a good way to put it, it is an oasis yeah. um have you ever considered going there to change out of your wetsuit never but my friends always threaten the idea of we should just rush through just brigade into the pool area, jump in, and then we kind of laugh about the reactions and what the old ladies would say and all that. Okay, what would be the best place to change out? Sauna, steam room, jacuzzi? I would say jacuzzi for sure. Yeah, I, think I would so do too. the jacuzzi for sure. You'd struggle, so. you'd flounder. It'd be a lot of like white whale butt shots, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that would be the move. That so, would be the move. So. Tell people what the Atlantic Club is, first of all. Like, yeah. the yeah. you mentioned swimming there. Yeah. In Southern California, everybody, not everybody, but yeah. enough of your yeah. friends have swimming pools in their backyard. Yeah. There's no need to go to a club to use the swimming pool. Totally, yeah. But... Yeah, uh, space is a, uh, a, a commodity around here. So yeah. there's, I guess, a lot of people have pools. And actually, my parents do have a pool in their backyard. So I grew up with a nice little small... Uh, chlorinated pool but the Atlantic Club is like a huge compound inland and you can do a ton of things there and as a kid going there it was fun it was a lot of a lot of competition the swim team was robust so I was just a swimmer from summer swimmer there from probably seven and then I would do like local rec swimming and then through high school and even you know could have at college but I kind of pulled away from the whole like sports things. So the Atlantic club just fostered all that around here. Great basketball. Okay. My cool. friends and I were big basketball players and like the, the glory of the Knicks. I'm a huge Nick fan. Sadly, Chaz always commiserates with me for that. He Is says, he Nick's guy too? No, oh, okay. no. Oh, LA, okay. LA okay. for life. He's I a thought, Lakers boy. I thought commiseration had to do with well, uh, no, he, like they, a sympathetic. Yeah. Well there is, there's an understood okay. empathy. You know, if you're got a it. Knicks fan, you're an idiot. You know, that's, it, that's it, the story it. of my life. I'm a Providence college fan too. And, it's always the same narrative. We're going to be good. We're going to be good. Just get ready. New coach, new guard. And it's always like three games out hot and then just plummet and then excuses and then kicking stones and angry and yeah. next year, next year, yeah. next year. So Funny. Um, well, I don't mean to shame the Atlantic Club. I actually am going to be looking for a similar club in Southern California when mm-hmm. I return home because mm-hmm. I see the glory in it. There is. Um, it's funny there's like, I'll talk to surfboard shapers and I'll say, hey, how'd you get into building boards? And they're like, oh, 
yeah, you know, my path is kind of unique. Everybody's path is like, I've never heard the same story twice. Like everybody gets into it from a different angle. Very few people got into it through nepotism, you know, <laughs> like, oh, my dad yeah. was yeah, a shaper yeah, yeah, and that's yeah, why yeah, I got into it. Yeah, if yeah. their dad was a shaper, they yeah. avoided shaping. You yes, know? that's, that's um, a great point. But yours is truly unique. Yeah. And a lot of people yeah. also have day jobs and shapeboards on the side. You're the only person I know with your specific day job. Yeah. So uh, yeah. what is it that you do for a living? I'm a assistant professor of English at the local community college. So I teach writing professionally, full-time, tenure-track professor. And it's uh, the dream job. Is it? Yeah, it is. I mean, there's times and weeks where it's horror and it's just brutal and and multifaceted and it's got a ton of parts and stress and drama. But overall, it's, you know, it was a a plan that I had, I don't know, you know, all along, kind of, whether I knew it or not. You know, I knew I wanted to teach. I didn't know how and where. But yeah, the college schedule is great and the lifestyle is great and it really kind of rewinds back to lifeguarding and, and like the first love affair with that and how that kind of propelled me to teaching so I could probably continue lifeguarding the summers mm-hmm. off or I saw that as a model that people would do. But um, yeah, it's incredible. It's like a, it's a, it's a really great job. And, and aside from the schedule and aside from the beauty, I mean, just to be able to go hear people's stories, help them with skills and, and develop critical thought and thinking is, you know, it's a huge luxury, you know, to, to say that that's what I'm really to do. And that is what I'm to do. You know, it's, there's definite curriculum that you got to run through and get through. But for the most part, it's just talking to people and getting people thinking and then giving them a, a tool set, a craft related tool set to express those ideas. And that's it. And that translates, I mean, it's a in great probably one of my best skills with shaping too is like the customer relationship is to kind of cut through the cut through the small talk and get to the core of it appropriately and and in writing you want to be the big goal is comfort and confidence that's it when you sit down at a keyboard how many of us kind of go start pounding keys we read it oh no 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 and we just erase 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 you know and that's like a horrible place to be and sometimes even in our surfing we're in that place with our boards and our insecurities and what's in our head. So with writing, the idea is to get people at the keyboard, moving, writing, then going back, revisiting skills, building skills, and then fine tuning. And in the shaping process or surfer shaper, surfer board relationship, that should be the case as well. There shouldn't be much mystery. There should be forthrightness and confidence and like what they know they're getting. And, and also like you help people build a critical vocabulary. You get them to really understand kind of design ideas and terms and kind of normalize language, which is hard, right? Um, and kind of clarify things that, at least according to you. So you got to have you have to build your own language really in your shaping design kind of platform. And yeah, I think teaching has helped immensely, immensely. Uh, did you grow up reading, or did you develop an interest in reading? No. Once you... No. Okay. Yeah, not at all. That's like the... I was a decent student. I loved school. I did. Like, I loved it. I was STEM by, like, science, technology, engineering, math. I was not that good at math. I was horrible. And I still have, like, math anxiety, which is funny, you know, um, that I do boards now. But but no, the, the writing was always easy. The critical thought was always easy. The, the understanding and analysis of lit and so on was... was natural to me. I knew that that was kind of how you should be looking at the world, you know. 
um, getting the joke at this on The Simpsons, you know, like that kind of stuff was like a big kind of part of my childhood. And uh, yeah, the reading and all that came later. And that, and I, I tell this to students now, like none of that's given in life. You don't like, you don't come out the womb a great reader. It's, and some people might, but otherwise it's, you have to learn to love the grind. You have to learn to love the idea that you now have to sit here and finish this work. And I think that's what college really does is it, it puts kind of this pain in your life that's temporary, you know, but in that there's this crazy rich reward, you know. So as you read, as you work through kind of assignment and, and thought and develop, you know, output, you're, you're really kind of strengthening yourself, you know. Um, do you remember what it was or like what hooked you with reading uh, so much so that you would want to dedicate your life to a version of it? I think it was looking at these the Renaissance heroes and looking at like how much these guys really worked, you know, Shakespeare. Like, I know you mentioned Shakespeare in the yeah. car yesterday, yeah, and yeah. saying that you even had a passion to like teach it. Yeah, yeah, the and Renaissance studies would be awesome. I mean, that's yeah. like that's the. I didn't know people actually enjoyed Shakespeare. I mean, I hear people yeah, in, oh like I watch gosh. movies, yeah, yeah, and yeah. like people always use that right. as like right. that's the um, I don't know. That's just like a qual uh, criteria to be a sophisticate. And sure. if you're into theater, you sure. have to love Shakespeare. And I was always like, oh, no, that's just in movies. I don't know anybody in my life yeah. who's ever, A, read it, B, understood it, or yeah. C, actually loved it. Yeah. yeah you're well, that guy? I, yeah, I can be. Yeah, I can be. I, I'm not staying up at night reading, you know, on a winter's tale. But, yeah, there's years where I devoted a lot of time and a lot of study and a lot of effort into figuring out what is so weird or strange or off-putting to other people you know i committed to this like this world this thought these years in history you know and they were crazy developed beautiful years in history where people were flourishing and and man was was really moving you know really making points on life that are just as valid today right which is frightening right that, that we're is, still talking yeah. about the same things yeah. um so yeah, I am, and and I and I think that was it. It was just kind of starting to pull back layers on different people in different times, and I would go through like waves of study. You know, then I got into the the beat era, which is kind of um, you know, like a a passage, you know, or a, a rite of passage in some ways. You kind of go through that, and you do the Kerouac thing, you do all those guys, and and they had kind of that second wave of. I mean, there there were tons of waves in between that. The Romantics, I shouldn't skip, but the Romantics were big for me. Wordsworth Coleridge. I had a guy, Bruce Graver, at Providence College. He was then the department chair. I think he's still around. His initials were Beg, B-E-G. And every time I'd email him, it was always like a snide comment back, kind of like, it was always like, can I get an extension? Can I get an extension? <laughs> and it was great. He'd always write back like, yes, Beg. <laughs> but anyway, B-E-G. So he taught me a lot about Coleridge, Wordsworth, all these guys that, again, like, renounced kind of the industrial era and, and moved away and, 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 you know, really moved to nature. And, and that was a whole other rich kind of just lesson I was learning and in, in, in being in Providence and being in the city and being in North Providence, which is like the least cool part of that city. <laughs> and then just running to the ocean as soon as possible, getting the hell out of it. And, yeah. you know, Rhode Island country is countryside, you know. Um, I didn't mention this to you yesterday, but uh, you... And you didn't mention this right now, but mm. your MFA was mm. in poetry, was poetry, it? Poetry, single yeah. genre, 
only writing yeah so and i do love that whole beat scene too oh man Um, yeah i yeah but i listen to the this one poem every day for Mm. i mean honestly a year i'd say yeah just like on repeat every morning because it was just a great way to start the morning yeah it was like seven to ten i don't even know the exact number of minutes it is now but it was long enough for me to like make my coffee kind of go through my morning ritual and just start my Mm -hmm. day and um you probably know it. It's a Ginsburg poem called Wichita Vortex Sutra. No. Yeah. No, I, I I'll send it to you. Okay, yeah, do. Because Philip Glass, yep. the American composer, wrote music for it I years heard that. later. Yeah, I heard okay. that. That was great. And then it's so good. Yeah, and so like it is. Uh Ginsburg then heard the song or heard the composition and then they've done readings together or they mm-hmm. did readings together where like they'd play the music and he'd uh read the poem. There seems to be some kind of nonsense to it. Like there isn't a clear, um, I don't know, subject matter throughout the whole thing. But I'll tone out or I'll tune out, even though I listened every day for a year, I will tune out every single time. And then I'll tune back in at different times. And I seem to catch new things all the time. It's like, yeah. you think I'd have the thing yeah. memorized at this yeah. point? If it was yeah. a song, I'd have it memorized yeah. for sure. But yeah. it's a really, I just love the ritual of letting myself get taken away by that. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's just yeah, it's a wonderful they, experience. They were, that was it. That was the, you know, the incantation of, of Ginsburg and the sound of how it is. And he, that was a lot of concept and, you know, high art too at that time that those guys were really trying to shake the system and yeah. move things and, and really kind of depart from form and, and structure and not be Auden and, and these other guys that were pretty stuffy, you know, and I mean, that's a simplification, but it's the truth. You know, those guys really broke a lot of barriers and were cowboys. Yeah. And that's, I think what I really loved about them was the, the cowboy kind of appeal of, of just being kind of on the road, so to speak. And even though I don't even like on the road, but still, like, <laughs> I, I was a big fan of, of Kerouac and, and just the, uh, the hustle. You know, and I, I always one of my favorite illustrations of him was the idea that he would prepare for the writing and he would sleep real nice for days up into kind of a binge and he would eat a lot, he wouldn't drink, he would, you know, take care of himself, sleep though, that was his big thing. And then he used to get like uh, rolls of paper and he would load them into the typewriter and just peel through a roll and then have the publicist come or have his editor come and they cut it up together and organize it and then that would get kind of retyped and reshuffled. But the first drafts would be written in one sitting, which is crazy, you know, yeah. think about that. And then you'd be shot by the end and kind of, you know, go mm. on a tear probably and go ask for money. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. Uh, do you know any other professor shapers? Um, I Locally, no. I mean, I'm sure they exist. I mean, it's, yeah, I, I do like the... Most of us, most professors do have a side hustle, you know, like it's education. Most professors? Yeah, for the most part, somehow. I somehow. know most surfboard shapers do. Yeah, well, I'm, <laughs> I think everybody in America does. You know, I, I know very point. few people just work in one job, and, and I don't know any rich educators, yeah. you know, uh, increasingly, uh, which is a, sh- a shame and is shameful, to be honest. And I'm, I will say that, and I know some people will agree with that, and... and I don't know. I, I have a lot to say about that, but I won't. And uh, yeah, I would assume there are probably. It, it has an open schedule. The summers are off. Um, yeah, there's a couple other big, nice breaks that you get, you know. Yeah. But um, 
It is nice. It absolutely is nice. Do have any of your students identified you as the local surfboard shaper? No. Really? They're clueless. Really? I mean, some do, but no, they're clueless. They think I'm like a kook. You know, they're just, I'm in the way. I'm in the way and, you know. I mean, you surf so often and yeah, you're yeah. near the beach. I would assume you'd see a student in the water. At there are. No, they, they. I do. I got a couple kind of like surf eager types, but they learn quickly. The class isn't about surfing and there's barely any mention. There's. I use an old Kimo Hollinger narrative as an example of kind of a first experience, first and or last experience. Um, I do write through some personal perspective stuff and like an informative essay on surfing and they like it, but they don't kind of get it. And, and that's the point is that I use that as kind of an example where I kind of barrage them with detail and what's meaningful, what's not, and, and how do you then twist detail to support meaning. But no, I'm not, the last thing I do is admit that I'm a surfer, to be honest with you, right? I mean... I know you're not promoting your surfboard brand in class. I would just assume that there's some kid who's into surfing who grew up locally who yes, would know who you yes, are. Yes, yes, yes. I definitely get like, you know, one every three years a oh, kid yeah. that's like, hey, I'm taking you for, for, for whatever, whatever. Yeah. And yeah, I got one right now. I got a, uh, it's finally getting to the point now where I'm starting to get some kids of, of kind of an older generation's friend group. So, yeah. you know, the kids take me and it's great. Yeah, and there's a couple other surfers that have and, and I'll get like the random kind of kid that just, you know, wants to write about surfing and and it's on <laughs> he's got to really write you about give him it extra attention oh a ton yeah and the skate essays I, I do well with the skateboarding essays but sometimes they don't know what they're they don't know what they're talking about i'm telling them about some stuff right you know so yeah. right right um what about writing i mean you're teaching writing uh, you love reading other people's writing how often yeah. are you writing yeah i i'm not at all not at all zero and it's um not intentional it's just that i write so much day to day uh at school and professionally and giving feedback to students and writing whether it's assessment reports or whether it's program reviews or whether it's evaluations or whether it's days i mean you know hours of emailing messaging constantly you know letters of support uh you know draft proposals for curriculum development it's endless so and then obviously student responses and the student responses are like the most important you know people are sharing deep serious stuff that holds and means a lot and that's what i prompt is for them to be talking about what's what's real you know and what they believe in and what they find truthful so yeah the responding and, and the writing to that is taxing i'm not running scantrons through a machine saying you're right you're wrong I don't stand, I very rarely lecture, you know, in the beginning, first five weeks I do, but after that I'm, I'm getting out of the way and they're getting in, you know, and, and they're writing and drafting and moving. So, um, so a lot of that is me responding to writing and reading a ton. So the writing is based professionally. So when I'm done, I don't want to write, you know, I don't want to then go and sit and, and grind out um, a couple of verses of poetry. And, and to be honest, that world was great when I had it, but I realized during that MFA and after that, as I developed a couple manuscripts and I, I started to submit for publication, that that world is tough, man. It is tough. Surfing's tough. <laughs> Try being a modern poet, you know, and that is cutthroat. There's a ton of other kind of cultural elements to it that I'm not a huge fan of. Um, you know, there's just a lot of, a lot. And uh, so I kind of fell out of love with that. And I, I still will write here and there, but I don't, 
criticism would be great to write, and I would love to do that for someone somewhere. Uh, and I think I'll get to that eventually, but I'm just not there. Like ESM closed, and that was a shame. That would have been really fun to kind of move towards some kind of article work for them. And Eastern Surf Magazine? East, Eastern Surf Magazine, exactly, sorry. And there's others, you know, it would be awesome. And, and I do have drafts, and, and I get them close. But to be honest, the shaping is such a big thing that it, it's it's my outlet. And I've always been a sculptor. I've always liked hand, kind of tactile expressions. And it's, the shaping is perfect for me. So any minute I have, that's all I want to do. You know, I, I, aside from the eight other priorities I have, too. You know. So do you miss writing, creative writing? I do, yeah, of course. <laughs> Despite everything that you do to justify giving up the time. David. No, I mean, I feel the same way. Yeah. I I, yeah, I mean, the reason lot. why I ask is because I need to share my plight with somebody or like yeah. sympathize with somebody, yeah. you know, because yeah. it's like I have a number of passions yeah. that I've developed over the course of my life that I haven't maintained yeah. as I've gotten older, which is really what I want to ask you about is like, how do you manage? I've been hanging with you guys the last yeah. couple of days. Yeah. Your life is so freaking busy, dude. Yeah, yeah. Your life is yeah. 10 times busier yeah. than mine is, yeah, and is. I struggle to manage my own stuff. Yeah. Tell me about time management. Number one, are you doing it successfully? And then whether you are or not, give us the roadmap. Yeah. How so do you do it? It is. It has been a life of it, right? It hasn't been overnight, so it's like anything. It's all gradual, and it and you you shuffle the pieces to make room at in, in blocks and in sequences. So... You know, the job is, as it's evolved, It, I got better at it. I got stronger in my instructions, stronger in, in a lot of parts. So that opened up an opportunity for the shaping to really take off. And that's probably been like the last five years it's really been jamming. So as that's kind of evolved and turned up, um, though there aren't really seasons for it anymore, now it's a really kind of consistent flow. Um, and that's just around the region in general. Um, I've had to quiet other parts. So, like, uh, I used to lifeguard. I was a 20-year ocean lifeguard uh, all my, all summer. I adored it competitively, socially, recreationally. It was my hometown I worked for. And that just became madness. To do four to five days a week lifeguarding while shaping was almost harder than shaping through a semester. Really? Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. I would pray for rain. Pray. It would If it was rain... It'd be a rain day, and then we'd take a half day, they call it, and, you know, you bail, and then I just shape all day. And obviously, if there's rain, there's a system, there's surf. So, you know, it was nuts. I would, I, this was before kids and stuff, but I remember lifeguarding a hot day all day from, and if there's surf, you're up early, so you get in before work. So, say, 6 to eight you check in for nine you work to five i get out i go home i'd eat hang out with my wife and then i go shape all night and it would be you know 90 degrees i'd be shaping in my undies you know in, in my in my lifeguard shorts literally go home hose hose down in the backyard take the lifeguard shorts throw them on the rail and then go to sleep wake up put those shorts back on go back lifeguard get back in the bay do it again so it was just absurd then the other parts that don't even involve shaping which is right. the harder part so anyway i stopped lifeguarding that's the moral of that story yeah. and so that opened up another kind of opportunity and, and spot that allowed me to shape more fluently in the summer and my wife and i have two kids so they're a huge part of our lives and that gives me opportunity to be with them so 
the time management is just making it work. And I know that sounds obvious, but it is. And, you know, I don't know. Everyone's got it tough, in quotes. You know, everyone's, everyone's struggling to find and do what they want to do. I've just been blessed with knowing what I want to do. I'm not distracted in other ways. Like, I, I am a pretty pared-down dude. And when you really look at it, it's like my family, my work, and my surfing, you know. And I do have a couple added horrible addictions like uh golf which we won't talk about i was gonna we're not, not, i was can. not gonna we can't out. don't out me david i'll edit that out for you don't out me um uh, but no, i mean so, work is the key word yeah. though you said you make it work no no, no. Yeah. you are a super hard worker well said well said. like you really yeah and i should really i have are. to do this and and like uh i have to think right now what would my wife want me to say right and uh and i do i am a grinder and my whole story is one of you know true grit you know and determination it was like i i my father was a polish immigrant my mom's from polish immigrant parents there's no surfing in my family they don't my dad has been to the beach maybe once really his whole life yeah I've, i think i remember like once my mom local girl grew up you know went to the same grade school as i did same high school oh, i didn't know that yeah yeah she grew up in spring lake and and you know is a a great source of inspiration and and all that, but not a beach girl, you know. Yeah. She'll go to the beach and, and run down there and stuff, but it's got to, water's got to be like an anomaly, like warm, 70 degrees, 75 degree water, then she gets in. So, yeah, mine was just like, get it and figure it out and, and you can do it. And, and, and I did. And, and that, there's something to be said for that. And I worked for it, man. I, I was, I'm a, a well above average surfer, but I was by no means a natural at all, you know. I, grind it out to where I am in the surfing and and with my shaping it's a I see some of the stories of what people were 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 blessed with and gifted but man I literally learned to shape and make surfboards in my garage by myself no freaking tutorials no 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 surf ghetto to run up the street and ask hey what do I do with this getting blanks like I was you know I it was nuts When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInJobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What was the first board you built and when? Um, it was, I'm also like a real careful kind of like scaffolder. Like I, I made sure I had the tools and the setup and I didn't really like hodgepodge it. I, I really got a, a planer and all that. But anyway, it was 2000, probably 2003, maybe it was 2001, but it was ding repair for a bunch of years and um, I made enough cash lifeguarding. No, it had to have been a little bit later. It's probably 2002, 2003, and I had enough cash lifeguarding from an early age. For 15, I got full-time uh, beach guard, which was nuts. You know, it was like I think even illegal to be honest. So at, I was in a pretty high pay sequence at that point, and uh, and I got a bunch of cash and uh, for being a 19-year-old or a 20-year-old or whatever, and I bought a bunch of Clark blanks and I got them sent to my parents' house. You know, and it was a bunch of these huge boxes, and I, uh, I think the first one I did was like an egg, and the idea was that I couldn't find an egg anywhere around here. There was none of that. But you had seen them in magazines. No, it was. Uh, I got my hands on the seedling a VHS copy of the seedling. Oh yeah. And I saw a lot of those guys and and Joel Tudor and 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 that whole world and. And that movie was big. That was like a. I was like, oh man, that's pretty cool. And those look. They go fast. And we have great surf. We have manic surf here. We have like uh, as good as you want it, inside out, frightening tube rides. And then we have like yesterday, right, where it's just like micro, but kind of perfect and like beautiful and strange. And then we have like a dozen other variations in between that. So we have a really weird manic surfscape. Like it gets crazy. Um, there's other like weird nuances to the the smaller days that I don't really want to kind of babble about, but there were days where they'd be perfect for a lot of those boards, and I couldn't find those boards here. That's the long story short. So I just was like, well, it'd be fun to have a single fin egg that was like about seven zero, nice and round, fast, and uh, that was it. And the other thing that I had to do in my head, I don't know where I read it. I think it was Nat Young, but it was you had to shape it, glass it, and sand it in one day. And that was really the first true like board that I made and did. Hmm. And it was like a ton of surf. I shaped it probably the night before, woke up in the morning, sun cure, uh, which is insane, you know, sun cure lamination, probably blew half the lap in the open garage door that I had to like grind and relaminate. But I did it. I got you know, both sides land, hot coat deck, quick grind, hot coat bottom, glass on fin, sun cure, sun cure, sun cure, rough sand out, cooked the shit out of it in the sun, and then went out in the afternoon up the street, my parents' house, who great little long, long jetty then. It still is, it's one of the longest jetties in town and great little two foot south swell and 
got on the board, the thing was so soft. I could feel like my board go into the chest, like my chest went like into the board. Wow. It was great, it was great. And I said, that even got me so jazzed because it was like nothing I'd ever felt. And I could like smell the resin as I'm paddling out because it was so hot, the board's so hot. And then it's shrinking in the cold water so I could like smell that like, I don't know. It was as if it was kind of like alive. And I got out real easy, like quick. I rode the kind of deep spot jetty kind of rip out. And a wave came right to me, spun, made the drop, it kind of nosedived a bit. I pulled up the nose and the thing just took off. It was just like, mm-hmm. and I could feel the heels kind of pushing into it. And that was it. That was like all, that was it. I was like, this is freaking the best. That was not my first real good ride, but it was a great ride that I'll never forget. And, hmm. and I even had a buddy there and he was like so thrilled for me, you know, he was like, yeah, you know, just so psyched and yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun. So yeah, and then that kind of propelled me in other ways and it was cautious. This wasn't like an overnight decision either. I think yeah. that needs to be said nowadays, everything's so instant and it's so immediate and people are so able to kind of know it all, right? And um, then there was knowing nothing. And that's kind of the beauty of it was to not know everything and mm. to to figure it out on your own. And that, that process of figuring it on your own, you know, it causes like that rich, authentic knowledge, which I think is lasting. And mm. I think that's a, a powerful tool, much more powerful than, you know, knowing that cheat and how, how to avoid that error happening and, you know, blah, Did- blah, blah. Do you still have that board? Oh yeah, yeah, and really? yeah, and I, uh, without a doubt, and it has like. Then I finally figured out fin boxes, and I but I had didn't have a router, so I like would chisel fin boxes, and it was ridiculous. Wow. Yeah, painfully primitive, you know. Um, but I did it, and, and then so my my buddy Pat, who's a great surfer, he rode it for one full summer. He came back from the North Shore, didn't have any boards. He's like, I'm riding this thing. And he just rode it all summer, get barreled out of his mind on the really? thing. Yeah, was, I forgot what blank it was. It was probably an old Clark H, maybe, but it was twi- it had a twist in it. It had a really visible twist, and I think that was the the beauty of it and why it was so good. Fantastic. Yeah, we should go check it out. Actually, I'll show you all that. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's a great story. Yeah, that it was actually a flaw that turned out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, that's that's no secret, but that that happens a ton, right? Is that those. It's so unpredictable, though. It is so nuts. I know. Yeah. But there's a beauty in that. You don't. Of course there yeah, is. Yeah. But I want to isolate the variable and recreate it. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, I heard a story about you almost burning your parents' garage down. <laughs> <laughs> there were multiple chemical fires. Multiple chemical fires. Yeah, it's crazy. Listen, the big, the thing that nobody, uh, that is, the hardest part is the weather here. It's the hardest part. And you have to be a heating master master you have to know how to heat a space how to keep it warm how not to lose the heat right we're in my bay right now and it's getting cold quick right because we don't want to hear this thing chirping in the background but my parents garage was an open garage it had a tarp down the middle and i had lights on one side so if you're laminating and it's gonna be cold at night you've got like a space heater i think i had a space heater underneath the board as i'm laminating it or something like that um, I think it just shot out sparks. Maybe. The space, he- space heater did? Like yeah. it malfunctioned yes, a little bit? exactly. And okay. I think that then jumped onto a tarp, and the tarp, like a plastic tarp, started cooking pretty good. Then there was another batch of epoxy that then just started cooking. 
Were you in the garage? No, I like I went for a surf and came back and opened the garage door. And it was surreal. It was just this like black fog in front of me. Like I was like, is it dark out? <laughs> it was like the middle yeah. of the day. I'm like, oh, it's dark out. And then I didn't understand what's going on. And then the smell hit you, you know? And it was horrible. It was like the worst smell in the world. So then I ran in like an idiot, just ran right into it. Like, where is it? Mm-hmm. Isolated it. And I, yeah, I think that's what it was. I think like the corner of the tarp went and then the space heater kind of started to melt itself and put it out. I think I used a bunch of foam dust, to be honest, to put no it out. No way. I think so. Just it happened to be what was Which available was right there. Right there. I just threw it on it and that kind of simmered it almost. And then I went and got water and it was just a nightmare. The place stunk so bad. It smelled so bad. The smell mm-hmm. wouldn't get out for a little while, and yeah, that's wow. How did you one. explain that to your parents? Oh, uh, I kind of, you know, just took over that garage for those years, you yeah. know, and they very rarely went in there. And I think my dad finally put his nose in there once. I was like, "What the fuck? What is that smell?" I'm like, well, there was a, a little bit of a fire, and they went nuts, you know. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Um, what kind of boards are you building now? Um. It is a big, it's a variety, and it's a variety for our needs at, at the Jersey Shore or the Mid-Atlantic. So it's a, a gamut of longboards, um, eggs, fun shapes kind of thing, fish of varying sizes, and then a select type and couple designs of shortboards, uh, okay. mainly for better days for the tubes. and. That's it, and a lot of my catalog parallels me. It parallels I what I do, and you care. You make everything. Yeah, you cover all the bases right there, other yeah. than guns. Yeah, yeah, and I, I'm a firm believer of that, to be honest. And you know, I think that there is a, an absolute need to specialize, and I understand and have heard that kind of refrain, and I know that's become kind of a popular ism. Uh, it's probably a business degree um, kind of tome, but. To be honest, I think with surfing, like I, I can't understand passing up waves. I can't understand people just being like, no, I, I, I'm, I don't want to surf, even though it's a perfect wave, whether it's waist high or double overhead, you know. So, I just, I, I got to be on it, you know. So the way it, the boards, the catalog supports that, you know. So some eleven footers, even for the micro stuff, and then, yeah, you know, up to a six six round pin that's meant for death you know mm-hmm. doom we call it you just mentioned that you finished that micro episode part mm-hmm. of what we talked about was like the unique challenges uh of the outer banks yes not only shifting sandbars but yes, like yes. he was talking about the audubon society you that know reserving things for birds and limiting, yeah. yeah limiting um access to beaches and stuff for surfers i want to get into some of that in the Jersey Shore, yeah. just in New Jersey in yeah. general. Yeah. Um, let's start with how has MTV's The Jersey Shore affected local tourism and culture right. and right. all that right. sort of stuff? Um, the Jersey Shore, and I don't want to do a history lesson on the Jersey Shore, but the Jersey Shore has always been um, a, uh, an escape from city life. Uh, that's the truth. And w- when it really was first kind of brought uh, to the attention, it was the industrial age, New York. A uh, bunch of people had a bunch of money. They were stressed out. They were freaked out. 
and they slowly made a big crazy mission down to the shore and it was by total like frontier type you know horse and wagon style and one guy john bradley um came down made it to ocean grove which i think you've seen laid down in the wash and he used to make uh horse hair hair brushes but lost his hair he was freaking fat out of shape pale just dying literally new york was killing him and laid in the wash and, and had the ocean wash over him and said this is it this is all i want to do this is the only place i want to be so a lot of people from the tri-state area run to the jersey shore in the summer period like we have Belmar, one of our kind of closest, my closest example of the Jersey Shore shtick, you know, DJ's is the big bar. Um, that town, I have a student writing an essay on Belmar right now, and I think it goes, I hope I get this right, I think it goes from maybe 7,000 to 30,000 in three months. So 33, you know, 8,000 people to 30,000 people. That's the influx within a three month period, and then they right. leave. So, I mean, that's, you know, for the small community that it is, and I should also say these towns are like half a mile by a mile, right? Um, that whole scene is, it can be pretty brutal. You know, it takes your beautiful, quiet, sleepy beach town and throws it up into the air. And there's a lot of mayhem and there's a lot of like places and times to avoid and don't expect to get anywhere that quickly when it's really pumping on a, a Saturday and a Friday. You know, it's a lot of a lot of hot rods and a lot of cars and a lot right. of flexing. But um, I don't know. That Jersey Shore thing is completely removed from, from my, my ex experience, you know. I mean, in a sense, I mean, you're not going out to the club and partying and fist no, pumping at no, night. No, but no. you were a lifeguard for a lot of yes. time and oh, you're man. on the beach and those people are getting drunk and then coming down. And, yeah, yeah. And, and, and So tell me some of those experiences. Or yeah, so I, um, the I used to work in Belmart, which is one of the big kind of beach towns. And it was nuts. It was an absolute kind of nightmare of seeing huge, crazy surf, you know, really good hurricane surf. And then seeing a, a massive group of people that just have no clue of what it is and just view it as an opportunity to cool down or to show off and to go. So lifeguarding. And it's similar to L.A., L.A. County, too, but he, there's, like, L.A. has a little bit better of a shoal that you can kind of walk out for a bit in, and yeah. here there's a big drop-off occasionally, and it can just be carnage. It can just be carnage, and the late season is just gnarly, and, and that after-hours kind of skeleton crew work is some of the most stressful lifeguarding, you know, because we're... We're small town. It's small fry. It's not. We don't have huge towers and big resources. We're not a year-round kind of deal. So the people that do the off-season end of end of the year work are heroes. You know, they're saving people by the dozen. And it's a lot of uninformed city dwellers that just come down, jump in, and then help. You know, and the waves get big, big and barreling. Big and top to bottom and close to shore close to shore yeah. short period it's a usual interval of like eight to ten seconds and it's on and it's it's just a ton of energy and a ton of swell coming so therefore when the when the water comes in the water's got to go back out for the most part and our jetties kind of break the beach up but at the same time they congest a lot of that water so there'll be these eddies or rips that then start to happen and the rips are what cause a lot of this kind of trauma and it's intense man super intense what's the craziest unprepared tourist story that you've had to deal with 
We I was telling you a couple of good ones yesterday, but I didn't tell you this one. Um, it was late season. Uh, I forgot what year, but I was. It was in between, maybe at the end of getting my master's. So I was broke as a joke, and I, I needed every dime I could get doing late season work. So. Um, You'd show up, and it was the worst, because being a surfer, you knew exactly what you are showing up to, and it was high-pressure, beautiful fucking day, gorgeous, like offshore all day, four to six foot, you call it, right? So you got solid 10-foot-faced waves coming in. Um, I surf the morning, I go into work, and it's like five of us. So five people are watching three-quarters of a mile of beach, maybe half a mile of beach. And so there's no stands up. Technically, we're not there by, by law. People aren't paying badge. None of that's going on, but we're getting paid. So morally, <clears throat> ethically, morally, you're there. You know, like if you see somebody going in the water, you want to kind of get on it. But the point was, is we're, we have to usually sit inside these kind of pavilions, and there's a, a saltwater pool that you also kind of attend to. And we, we weren't pool guards, but at the end of the season, all the high school kids go back to work, and being, you know, a college-graduated guy without a job, that was the work you do. And there's always a new crop of these kinds of guys, but that season it was me. So you're sitting there, and what happens is they send, uh, when a rescue happens off season, for the most part, it's like a worst case scenario because it's usually a patron seeing this happen. They call the police, they call 911. 911 then dispatches to the local town police, and then the local town police have to dispatch to the lifeguards. So at that point, when the patron's saying, these people are in danger, help them, it has to go through all those pipes and channels to get finally to the lifeguard to respond. M meanwhile, we're up on top of a pavilion or inside of a pavilion waiting to hear the bad news, so it's respond. So it's jump in an ATV, get a torp, go. And we show up, and it's a mom and dad on the beach, and they're saying, our daughters, our daughters, our daughters. So, Oh, no. Yeah, so it's on. you know. And this is like um, dragon killing in some ways. You're, it's on. Like you're, you're, you're not only fighting the ocean, but you're now looking to save somebody's life in an authentic, serious way. And so it's usually the faster swimmer goes out first, which was me at that point. And then we have lines where you take a line on a rope, and you swim that line out, which is a brutal task, but usually that's the, the brute does that, the bigger, gnarlier swimmer. I'm like a buck 80, you know, something like that. Usually the bigger guys are, 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 are pretty intense. So point is I get out and I'm getting out and I think they were like Jehovah Witnesses and, and the two girls are saying a Hail Mary, no lie, Hail Mary. And I hear that, so I'm going under the wave and I'm with another guy that's swimming out the primary torp and I hear it, oh, Mary, full of grace, lures with thee, bless her now, and I get her. And we're like off the rip, so we're not in it, but we're just off it, but it's this really intense left that's just cracking right on us. You know, you're looking at a eight foot, 10 foot face, top no to bottom, way. tropical wave, just going boom. No way. So I locked up the girl, the other girl is locked up by my partner. He's a good dude, college, um, college, uh, track guy, uh, John, he's a strong guy, he's a weightlifter, so he was capable, but so we get him, and you're, we're just getting lit by these sets, it's just one after another, and I'm just counting, I'm like, no more, but it's tropical, so now it's, instead of being our usual eight second energy, this is like a 14 second, you know, swell, so there's a fair amount more waves in the, in the set, and at this last one, it pushed us down so far, and we got to the bottom, and I'm just, when you get to the bottom, you're not gonna just jump right up because you want the wave to pass, right? So, but I got this little girl in my hands that's kicking. I can feel her. She 
can't hold our breath that long. We've already gotten hit by eight waves, six waves, and I just feel her kicking to get up, but I'm like, we can't go right now. Yeah, so yeah. I get to the bottom, I'm holding, waiting, waiting. I feel her squirming, I get up, and then finally I hear my buddy, this, this guy Rob, he just is a hoss. This kid was elite athlete, and he's just, you know, 6'2", six, 6'3", six, buck 90, shredded. We just screaming, swimming out this line, screaming, I got you, just wait, you know, here I come. And that's kind of what you're doing, and I'm calming the girls down. It's it's all about like the presentation of what's happening. You're kind of laughing about it. You're gonna be fine, but it was pretty serious. He gets us. We we get it. There's no one now holding the line, and that's something to note too. Here is like I think it was lunch, so two guys went out. The line went out, and at that point, you're hoping more people respond to the rescue, so the line is loose. There's no one feeding the line out, and luckily, patrons, people that were just watching us, grab the line. Women, men, they just pull us in nice and slow, and we finally get in and get the good applause, and and uh, and that's it, you know. And back to the back to the pavilion. I think they bought us a pizza, you know, or something like that that, <laughs> that afternoon. But I mean, the stress was awful. And at that point, I was like, "This the this the last postseason I'll ever do." This really, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the thing that you things that you've mentioned to me a couple of times as we've gone through various stories off air is like that um, you know at night that tomorrow there is an impending the doom. Worst. You just know that you have tourists who are completely yeah. oblivious and they're going to go into the ocean yeah. drunk and unprepared and the waves are going to be pumping. So it's not if something bad is going to happen tomorrow you just know something bad it's is going to happen yeah and, yeah. and, it's, and it, you're defying you're you're fighting against all odds basically yeah it should also be noted too that new jersey and new york too rockaway deals with this they are heroes as well and and coney island they don't get like crazy waves but they do get strong big surf in the hurricane there are places in the world that are like idyllic beach communities that have way more dangerous waves right like uh, hawaii the north shore and parts of Australia, South Africa, but there's not as many people. Here, we are like one of the most densely populated places in the world, right? And like that is really going on. Everyone's going to the beach, everyone's packed in, everybody needs it. And it's like always at the end of the summer when people are most desperate. They're going back to school, they're going back to work, and the surf is pumping because it's that hurricane season. So it's this horrible, perfect storm always. And you hold your breath all summer, June, July, flat, August, flat, and it's like the last week right before Labor Day where it just goes and it's just on and yeah. you're just, oh my gosh, is this really going to happen? And then postseason after that's even worse. Yeah. Crazy. Yep. Um, a lot of people who maybe have found surfing in the last five years or whatever, who might be from somewhere other than New Jersey, mm -hmm. their main awareness of Jersey currently has come through Ben Gravy. For sure, yeah, yeah. I'm curious about the Ben Gravy effect and what's your perception on Ben? He seems to be ubiquitous. Yep. He is New Jersey now and he's everywhere in New Jersey and he's he surfing is. every little wave. He is. is. Is Ben Gravy outside the shaping bay? Is he surfing right now out front? I don't know, Ben's a South Jersey guy, so it should be noted that South and North, you know, our, our corner here, which is like the, it's central, but it's Northeast Jersey. They are like worlds apart, totally worlds apart. But yes, but Ben has started to come up north and, and get a bunch of waves, and he's a tour de force. You know, the guy's got a big, huge, passionate following, it sounds like. And 
um, the story's great, and I think a lot of people are excited for it. And um, yeah, I, I think he's you know doing doing work for for the the industry of kind of New Jersey surfing, you know, or New Jersey um, kind of surf scene. Is so he? Is he as pervasive in your personal surf experience no. as he is on online? No, no. I mean, I think he surfs with the boys, you know, when, when it's on and, and they're having these kind of super sessions where the certain photographers are hanging out. He's he's in the mix and, you know, he was um, around for the Slater Swell and he had his GoPro out and was doing that whole thing. And yeah, yeah I think I think he is doing a, a great thing for his, for his brand and, and that whole idea of, you know... Um, I don't know, surfing different kinds of boards and waves supposedly and, and like that kind of stuff. And listen, it's, there's a market for everyone and everything. And yeah. seemingly it, it seems to be working out great for him. Um, you just mentioned linking up with certain photographers. Another note that somebody sent to me was about the hyper growth of local NJ photographers and videographers <laughs> more than surfers in winter months. Uh, the, what, what's going on? Uh, um, there's a couple that the line that I I love and I uh, is that there are there are more good photographers than good surfers now in the New Jersey kind of lineup thing, and that's it's a pretty bizarre thing. And I heard too that we are the most submitted state in surf content to a lot of publications. So we are the the most aggressive in submissions of surf content i think that was for surfline i think that was an aggregate um ryan struck who's a great great photographer and a great guy he told me that snippet so i got to give ryan credit on that and yeah i think we're the number one and it might even be that we have twice the submission rate as the second placeholder i think that might be true but either way it's no surprise that like we have been in the media limelight for the last like three years and we had two great years last year but when when you open up stab it was like jersey 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 namibia jersey namibia right. you know and it was nuts like i think it was a bad north shore year that year so we got maybe lucky with that and we had an incredible banner year like best ever one of the best but yeah we are rabid with content i guess you know right. there's a lot of photographers and like there aren't that many unique voices in it so it's a lot yeah, of the same angle the same thing one of the the kids i make boards for who's a really really gifted surfer pat schmidt he's big tall kid that's solid and strong and he showed up to a, a spot and, and rolled by with his buddy and just saw six of these photographers all in the same jacket shooting the same camera from the same angle and it's just he's like all right i, I probably shouldn't go there right like why why would i go where all these guys are that are doing all the same things with the same guy so he's trying to do something a bit different which i love and and he's got a photographer and a filmer Corey, and they're doing some different stuff but that's my worries it's not that there's a bunch of them it's just that it's the same damn thing kind of yeah and that's it gets a little tiring, you know. Where do Pat and Corey release their content? They have a, a social media page. They're called Summer Rental Studios, and they do really good work. And they're trying to get other non-surf related business too, and in, in kind of media, creative media work. They have another guy, Sal, and, and he does some really nice work with them. And they uh, they did an edit for What Youth just recently. What Youth put out um, 
and edit for Pat. And they're always cooking, you know, but I guess they're careful. And I like that. I like the idea that you're, that you're kind of thinking before you're releasing, you know, and, and that's insane that I have to like say like that. I like that. Like, what? Duh. Like, well, no, there's, but the reactionary media is nuts. It's just like, I got to put it up. And I guess that's like the problem probably with Instagram is that it pressures people to have to do it because it's instant. Right. Yeah. And in that instant, you then get on that hamster wheel. And I think that paralyzes people and freaks them out, you know, and, if you know what you're doing and you have a plan, then either one can work for it you. It can work great. And so like yeah. with Ben Gravy, it's yes. like, no, I'm going to go daily and I'm just going to... And yep. so yep. then he caters to that. Yep. But you can also be John John and be like, nope, I'm going to hold my clips curate this. Yeah. once a year and then I'm going to break the internet when yeah. I do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I think they're, they're a bit more cautious. I think they're also like figuring themselves out, which I really like too. Like... I don't know. There's something to be said for like working on yourself and thinking about what you really are and what yeah. you want to do and have kind of living with intention, you know, and, and I know that sounds hokey and, and all that, but that there's, you know, and that there's a ton of you people listening right now that are all that type and, and, you know, we're, we're lucky to have that understanding, but I don't know. Not everybody does, you know, not yeah. a, some people are just right away. Got to show you got to, but, but I don't know. I, I think the, our scene is beautiful here. It's evolving quickly. Um, it it's a rapid growth, and I worry about that, like sustainability or whatever you want to call yeah. it. Like that's a bit nerving, but I think it'll figure itself out. And the crowding's tough. You know, that's a whole thing too. Is we've like really jumped quickly in the last three years. It's gone from, and I think it is partly the the media and the photography. You know, is that there's no spot is quote a secret spot, which I can't stand, but that's true. You know, mm-hmm. like I can't deny it. And um, I don't know. I believe in kind of the sacred element to it all, but but uh, I'm also in living in a modern world and realizing that you know some things you lose with the modern perks. So, what media do you enjoy currently in surfing? I do Instagram. I definitely do. I'm not going to lie. I, I think it's so nice and so easy and, and all that. So for the instant, immediate kind of news feed stuff, I like that. I had Twitter for a while, but it was hard going between two accounts. So I just streamlined and did that. So that's my kind of like what's going on today kind of thing. I'm a New York Times reader, so I read the New York Times, but that's its own thing. The Surfers Journal obviously is a big piece of like how I've been informed as as a kid. I've always been been a lifelong subscriber, and I just think that there's a responsibility that people should have in supporting people that are doing the right thing. And mm-hmm. I'll say now that you're one of those people, David. And thanks. I've always we owe you a ton, and I've written to you a bunch. And we've chatted about this, but we do. And just you doing the work to put these different stories together and presenting it and working your ass off to do that and david has stayed with us now for about three days and the guy's working all day boy he's locked up working grinding editing and if you think this is easy or people are tripping but um media i used to be a huge surfline fan huge and yeah and they kind of i don't know i didn't like the update on the the app that they had done maybe a year ago and i've completely stopped looking at their media page like that media scroll that they have I, mm-hmm. I think that's kind of half-baked and sad and and some of the the writers i love like i'm a big matt pruitt fan from the east coast he's a, a great writer and they got a bunch of good voices but i don't know like 
I used to, I guess, maybe use a desktop more to look at that, but yeah. it's a very busy desktop page for them yeah. too. And I don't know what to look at and I don't know how to get to the stories. And then I think they figured that out a bit. And so they're not going to put a ton of effort into their stories. Stab is good. Beach Grit's good. I don't think they're doing anything like insane. And I don't think they're like busting down the door with surf journalism in quotes. And I, you know, I don't know. I think Beach Grit tries and, and, and works. And I think Stab does an incredible job too. I think they do, but there's still a ton out there, I think. And we're just starting, you know? Yeah. I was a big Australian surf life guy. I love those. Yeah. I love, got a whole collection of those from a, an older guy. And that was really the best in, in, in some ways, just because it was transparent and raw. And, yeah. But Aussie, you know, so I don't know. Are you currently riding any other people's surfboards? Or at this point, do you mainly just ride your own stuff? I ride my own, but I, I just love surfboards. So if I see one or get one or or or... or or think to order one, I will. I'm, I'm not opposed. And in theory, uh, I've got a huge surfboard collection. I've got, you know, eras and my own boards, my own working quiver, so to speak. So yeah, all the boards that I'm like surfing regularly are mine. And I have to have that because yeah. I got to know what the rails are. I have to know what's working. And I'm always buying and getting rid of. And, you know, before you got here, I just shaped another personal and you know, I, I had to do it just because I wanted the idea out and I needed to get it done. And I'm in the middle of Christmas hell right now and I'm still shaping myself personal boards, which right. is so dumb. But anyway. Uh, I mean, I see the value of both things. Obviously, yes. I see the value of yeah. you shaping your own boards and writing your own boards. Yep. And then I see the value of like trying something completely out, out of left field. Yeah. No, I have. I've got a. I've got a. I've got a two love laces. I've got a bunch of sea bolts. I've got... Um, well, I mean, I have a couple, I've got a Skip Fry, I've got a Yater, I've got a, a bunch of really nice, beautiful, kind of iconic shapes. I go to them, like, not that regularly, but enough yeah. that, like, if I'm feeling it, I, I go to them. And, but I would like to order more, or I'd like to kind of... Just going to say, if you could order yes. one, what would you order? Oh, that's such a tough question. Um, fry, I think. Really? Yeah, Fry would be cool. I would love to... There's a couple from him that I'd like to get, probably like three or four that I'd love to get. Liss, that'd be awesome. Um, I keep begging uh, Chris Gentile from Pilgrim to broker the deal with Stevie Liss. I don't know if it'll ever happen, so I'm gonna I'll put him out now. Chris, help me out, please. Does he sell any? any he shops? does, yeah. Uh, yeah, he, he'll get them occasionally, but they're all, I think, to custom. And that was like an older time and an older era where they were doing that more, and I think I think Steve has gotten a little bit older, so I think it's maybe harder. But I don't know. I, I'm, it's all a mystery, which I kind of like. And <laughs> you know what I <laughs> that's like too. What I like about it. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I heard that you did this too. Mm -hmm. um, the idea of like the shaper just kind of saying, "I'm going to do a limited run of whatever it is." Yeah. Oh, I've. I mean, get in line, basically. Yeah, I want to do for certain boards for my 11 footers and for even long boards. I would love to do like a tag limit. So it's like, yeah. I'm doing two of these a year, like mm -hmm. the 11 footers. And I, I actually, I came about it not for my needs, but it's like for others' needs. If you just make a bunch of big, crazy boards, you're going to have a bunch of big boards in the lineup that are going to like just kill people <laughs> or like congest. So yeah, like do a 
do a laminate, you know, like 2019, friend maker, like one of one, two of two, or, you know, one of three. Um, yeah, it'd be great. I would love that. It's, it's so fun. It also just, it makes a lot of sense for streamlining your business. Yeah. And yeah. using that example with Pilgrim, for Steve List, it's like, List doesn't want to manage. I mean, really so much of the burden of being a surfboard shaper is dealing with all the minutia of running That's a business. That's all And like all yeah. the customers either yeah. stopping by the shop who just want to chat or asking when their board is ready, yeah. which we just talked about yes. uh, off air, yes. and responding to direct messages on Instagram, responding to emails, yep. all of that stuff just creates a lot of clutter and chaos. Tons. So if List can just have one or two guys, retailers in that case, yep. and just go, hey, Send me the orders when they come. I'll get them done. And I'll get them to you, and you deal with all of that bull yeah. crap. That's the yeah. ultimate retail relationship, right there. Yeah. And then, in a sense, if list goes, look, I've decided I want to do five big boards. So, make them available when, yeah. you know. Yeah. That's the way to go. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. I just don't know if specifically Steve and, and his wife would do that, or they no, do you do yeah, that, of course. But, but yeah, Parmenter. I'd love to get a Dave Parmenter too. I'm yeah. I'm a big fan of him and. I've been kind of holding out on that for too long, so maybe maybe this year I'll do that. What um, you mentioned that you build boards for Pat Schmidt. What yeah. is your policy or plan in terms of um, having team riders and giving feedback from people riding your boards? Yeah, it's it's tough. It's like a that's been a big learning curve. You know, I've I've got a degree, multiple degrees in in teaching and learning and, and writing, and I've got an unofficial degree in like the board building and the skill set that comes with it. But the business thing is it's tough and it's raw you know it's business is tough man it's i watched that founder movie about ray Kroc. oh yeah and uh he's I got like that it. great line i do too and he's that kind of like business is war right and i don't view it that way that's that's pretty pretty brutal but but it's tough and like I, it's a lot of growing pains and it's a lot of you know figuring things out but contracts whether they're verbal or written help you know, and uh, so that everybody knows their everybody role. Everybody knows what they're doing and yeah. why they're doing it. So yeah, it's been it's been slow and organic too with Pat. It, it was like I made him a board maybe five years ago, six years ago. He was like a kid, kid kind of style. Then I got better and he got better and he was kind of figuring a lot out. And he lives up the street from my bay, literally. And I surf with him not as much as we probably could because he's probably chasing it a bit harder and I'm kind of running away from that and going down the beach. But um, but no, we've, we've really been working in the last, probably the last four months heavily together. I've made him about a dozen boards. Uh, we have a good relationship uh, personally, but now we're starting to really figure out kind of the business end of it. He's very good with his sponsors and, and what, what's going on with all that. So. We're working kind of both sides of things and, and working both angles, and it's going really well. And, I, and I'm a huge fan and a huge believer of supporting local people. And I've, mm -hmm. I've given away a ton of boards. I've given deals to guys that probably don't deserve it, to be honest, you know, because of one malfeasance or another. But, but I just believe in where I'm from, man. I believe in, like, the people that are willing and able to chase their love of surfing. And that is everything to me, you know, it is like I, I in, in surfing that is, you know, like that is such a huge thing of like people, people that are committed and willing to sacrifice and give things up and, and just live a surfer life, you know, and 
surfer life isn't just like, you know, shortboarding or longboarding or what the hell ever. It's the whole deal, you know, and a lot of us around here are that, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of people that are just always thinking and doing and, and moving for surfing. We call it a, you live to surf, you surf to live, right? That's the kind of mantra that a lot of people around here kind of fall under. And it's because you have to, you know, there's, yeah. there's nothing's giving, nothing, nothing's easy, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, where are your boards available? Do you go, yeah. do you sell direct? Do you work do. with retailers? What's your policy? I, yeah, I have a great, I have a really nice uh, relationship with two retailers locally. Um, they came slowly, but the first one is um, Bear Wires in Spring Lake Town, my hometown. Uh, Adam Holloway and Brian Smith have been super good, gracious dudes and supported me from the beginning when I opened the bay and started to do it a lot more kind of seriously. They were first to buy and um, yeah, they they buy a variety of boards and they buy regularly and you know I surf with those guys and fish with them and they're great guys and I, I'm 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 lucky that I have my boards in my hometown and. You know that's been a dream, right? And and, I, and that was a slow, careful decision that we made. Like over time, it wasn't like, "Here I am, buy my boards, let's do it." You know, it was careful and slow, and on my part and theirs. And then um, Inlet Outlet in Manasquan, uh, and that's owned by Kenny Kloss and managed by uh, Nicole Miller. And both of them have been super good to me. And Nicole is, I've been going to the beach with her. 20 years 15 years and her husband I grew up watching surfing Mike he's a great guy and um, and Kenny's just a OG of OGs in the area and you know 1964 shop owner here you know in Belmar and Heights and so anyway just gradual organic relationships that were real and and yeah they buy my boards and they promote me and and conversely I do the same for them you know and and that was tough, you know. They're they're competitors in some ways, but we figured it out. And of course, um, obviously, final question for everybody interviewed is just, what was the last board you rode? Last board, I uh, took my wife's high performance shortboard this last Monday and had one of the best sessions I've had in a long time. And it was uh, five nine, probably a little wider, probably like nineteen and a quarter, two and a half kind of thing, EPS high-performance shortboard, but lower rocker, way subtler bottom, like not flat, but like a really light kind of double through the whole thing. And um, I just, I forgot about that board. She She's pregnant right now, so she's not shortboarding as much. And I found it and I was like, oh, this is it. And she had smaller fins in it. And the swell was probably like a three foot little kind of swell, but solid, like really fun, punchy kind of head high surf. and. Um, and I just got a bunch of great turns. And I haven't had like a day of doing good, good turns in a while. It's been a lot of like death and glory, a lot of barrels, a lot of like go and charge and really push it. And this one, you could get your feet pumped down the line and just tee off two, three times. And mm. I did that like, I don't know, like six waves in a row. And it was like, oh, that felt so good. It feels so good. It felt so good. The second session, I had my first wave and just all I wanted off the bottom and all I wanted off the top. And I was done. I melted. I was like, I could go. I should have gone in. And then, of course, I paddled back out and sat there for 40 minutes. I hate that. Oh, yeah. It's always that. Awesome. Well, Professor Mansell. David. Pleasure. Thank you. Sincerely. Thank you. Okay. Well, I'm accustomed to
the school bread Oh, maybe I'm a dog who's lost his bread I don't expect to be treated like a fool no more I don't expect to sleep through the night So people say lies, lies, lies But I say why, why deny the obvious child Why deny the obvious child And then you remember in a road sign I remember in a girl when I was young And we said these songs are true These days are ours These tears are free The cross is in the ballpark And the cross is in the ballpark We had a lot of fun We had a lot of money We had a little son We thought we'd call him Sonny Thank you so much, Charles. I've got links to his work on surfsplendorpodcast.com as well as on social media at surfsplendor. Please, if you enjoy the show, share it with friends. That is help we get this show to grow and how we attract new people to be on the show. So thanks for doing that. And then, of course, if you'd like to support the show financially, you will be in the running to win that 6-8 Cosmic Ray Speed Whistle Single Fin. You only have a couple more days. We're picking that winner on March 1st. So you can do that on surfsplendorpodcast.com slash donate. You can also leave a comment in the comment section for Charles or just feedback about the show in general. That's really helps kind of craft this ongoing narrative and craft who we interview and styles of shows that we do and all that sort of stuff. It's really a collaboration project. So thank you for your investment in it. I'm thrilled to be able to do it and to bring it to you each and every week. All right. Until next week, when I will be on a plane headed to Australia to record a vast number of podcasts, actually. This is David Scales for Surf Splendor. Get back into the ocean, share some waves, and shred up. Well, I'm accustomed to a smoother act Or maybe I'm a dog who's lost its pride I don't expect to be treated like a fool no more I don't expect to sleep the night Some people say a lie is just a lie But I say the cross is in the ballpark Why deny the idea?